Hello, everyone, and welcome to the BS Sports Show. I am Brendan Azoff. Joining me in just a moment is Stefan Rosner, and we have a jam-packed show for you guys today. Joining us at 6.30 is NYI Hockey Now editor Christian Arnold. He's been on this show once before. Great guest, really knows his Islanders hockey. And we will discuss the chances for the Islanders at extending the series against the Tampa Bay Lightning. We also have a lot of hot takes, both in baseball and hockey, a lot of exciting news and, and information to get out. But first, we just got some merch in from our store, Be a Sports Shop, and wanted to give you guys a little sneak peek. You got the, the beer dye shirt, Chuck and Nux, Toss and Dye. And you got our logo on front. It doesn't just come in this color. It comes in all types of colors. And if you guys want to go check it out, the link's in our Facebook page and Twitter pages. So everyone go check that out. Stefan, how you doing, buddy? I feel like I got punched in the face by uh, Scott, John Scott. I'm just, it's a tough day. Allergies are killing me. But again, the show must go on. Power through, power through. So we got some NHL headlines to kick things off with. I'll let you get started with Jeff Ward, who loses his interim tag with the Calgary uh, Flames. Yeah, so he took over for Bill Peters after he resigned following the whole racial slurs and abusing players behind the bench, and they played quite well with him. 24-15-3, they knock off the Jets four games to one in the uh, four games to one in the qualifying series. So three games to one, excuse me, in the qualifying series, and they lose to Dallas. But as Dallas has been playing, it makes sense. This is the year yeah. for Dallas. It seems like it's going to be they're going to they're in the cup right now. We'll see who joins them. We'll see if Tampa joins tonight, but. Great with him. You know, Calgary's had four coaches in the past five seasons. That's that's not a good stat to have for a hockey club. And he has won a cup before. He won a cup with the Boston Bruins, an assistant coach in 2011. So this should be a good fit. It is a two-year deal. Not sure how much, but definitely good fit for him in Calgary. And hopefully they can build on this year to next season. Definitely. And I think for Calgary, it's been a revolving door of coaches so far. Like you said, they've had multiple over the last five years. And for more years than that, they've had even more coaches. And it just seems like nobody could be that fit. So I understand why after coming in, they had a good record with them. Why not give him a chance to solidify as a head coach there? He already has a relationship with the players. And and I like the move of not going outside and bringing out an outside hire who has to take time to develop a relationship with the organization. But Moving on to the more prevalent information, Nathan McKinnon wins the Lady Bing Trophy. Obviously, he's going to win a lot of awards going to come the NHL awards season right now with how good he was for the Colorado Avalanche this year. 93 total points, 35 goals and 58 assists, and only 12 penalty minutes on the season. And this is a guy that's out on the ice all the time. So that makes that stat even more impressive. Well, you look at it is that if there's an injury or something, you know, you need your best player to be on the rink in the biggest moments. And if you have a top player who's taken significant amount of penalties, well, guess what? It's not really helping your team in the long run. You look at a guy like McKinnon, he takes no penalties. He's always out there. And that's why he's so dominant because first off, besides playing out there and playing up minutes and scoring and getting assists, it's called trust in a big moment in a big game. Let's say a tie game, you're in overtime. You could throw this player out there and go, you know what? He's responsible with the puck. He's not going to take a penalty to hurt the team. And that's a huge thing to have on a hockey club, especially for Colorado. Yeah, and like, like you said, if your top players aren't on the ice when you need them most, it's going to become a problem. And, and a lot of players in the league that are top-notch players, they get frustrated some games and they take stupid penalties, and McKinnon doesn't do that. Uh, he was the second lowest among the top 25 scorers in the NHL, which is pretty incredible. And, 
just overall, I mean, it was a phenomenal year for Nathan McKinnon. Every time he touched the puck, it seemed like he was creating offense. I think there was a 40-point gap between him and the second-leading scorer on the Colorado Avalanche. So clearly he was the best player on that team, and, and it's why he's up for the Hart Trophy as well. So we might see his name called again later this week. Yeah, outstanding player. I know NHL Network was talking. If you could start a franchise, and we'll get to this hot take later, but they said if you could start a franchise with one player, who would you pick? And more than – a few of them said it would be Nathan McKinnon. I mean, he's got it all. He's got the speed. It's not even the speed. It's the speed with the puck on his stick and the quick shot, dominant. Lady Bing, well-deserving, and he looks to help Colorado rebound from a tough loss this year. This is a team that we thought was going to go to the Cup, and he did his, his part. It wasn't like he slacked off in the big moments. He did everything he could. just wasn't enough this year. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, I'm going to let you talk about the next topic with Lou Lamarillo winning GM of the year, but – I think for Nathan McKinnon, it, this is an especially tough one to lose because of all the time off, they were rolling, right? And you kind of want to go in when you're rolling like that. They take the time off. They look great in the round robin play, look great in the first round against Arizona, and then injuries strike. And it's frustrating because that's out of your control. But at the same time, the expectation was we're going to win the cup this year. They have the roster to do it. And now every time you go a year longer, now you have RFAs, UFAs that have to get re-signed. Pieces might not be coming back and. I felt like this team all around from top to bottom was one of two or three in the league that really looked like they were poised to win a cup and, and another disappointing year for them. I mean, it's tough. You lose Grubauer, your number one goaltender. You lose a veteran defenseman in Eric Johnson. But again, teams have to battle injuries. We'll get yep. to the Lula Marillo. His Islander team went 35-23-10. and 10. They were fifth in the division. They weren't a playoff team when the play stopped. And you look back and go, okay, Pellet goes down. Johnny Boychuk gets a skate cut under his eye. Cal Clutterbuck takes a skate cut to the um, to the wrist where, you know, that was a scary situation. Zizekas, skate cut. And they they weren't the team that, you know, this expected. You want to see them take strides each year. This regular season wasn't really a stride at all. But again, they lost pieces. But the thing that Lou Lamarillo did, which was great, is he went on and made moves. He got Andy Green, who's played well in this playoff. A veteran, 37-year-old defenseman. He, he plays top-line minutes. That's what he's been playing his whole career with the Devils. Great move. They get Pajot from the center. They give up a lot, a lot for him. He comes and he, you know, the regular season, they ended the stretch seven games in a row losing. He was, hadn't won a game with the Islanders yet. And he comes to the playoff very, very well, still playing well. He does a lot of things now with Casey Zekas hurt. He's playing on the fourth line and he has been a perfect fit. Obviously, Zekas brings what he brings, but Pajot has been a great fit. And he's got signed to a six-year deal, but also he signs Anders Lee and Jordan Eberle. And I know Eberle's taking a lot of slack right now, but he's racking up the points. He's just not coming through in the big moments they need him to, but he is racking up the points and trying to help as best he can. But Anders Lee gets a seven-year deal. Eberle gets a five-year deal. They signed Varlamov to a four-year deal. He's been great. He's going to be really helpful when Sorokin comes over and starts playing. And Broussard, they signed him to a one-year deal to re replace Valtteri Filipula. And yeah, he was scratched at the beginning of the flyer series, but he came in and he's played quite well. So all these moves they've made have really helped them right now in the playoffs. And that's when these moves have to matter. Exactly. And you brought Lou Lamarillo came here with one, one goal in mind, and it was to bring this team to a cup and came over with Barry Trotz there. And, and it's just a great fit between the two of them. You got two geniuses, one from the front office, one from behind the bench perspective, and they 
bounce ideas off each other. And like you said, Pajot right now is playing on the fourth line the last couple of games, and somebody might hear that and say, wow, you gave up that much for a fourth liner. But the Islanders are one of the few teams that they interchange lines. They play the same amount of minutes. It's not like their fourth line is getting benched in big moments. They're out there. So it's a different type of fourth line, and he's been very, very valuable. And we saw this in his time with Ottawa, too, how good he can be when it comes to playoff time. I remember as a Rangers fan, watching him absolutely shell Lundqvist in that four-goal game and demoralizing everybody that roots for New York. But uh, it was it was definitely fun to watch him then, still fun to watch him now. And the Islanders, in order to avoid being eliminated, are going to need him to step up in this game big time. And it's not the first time Lemoreau has done a phenomenal job as a general manager. He was the Devils when they won the Cups. He goes to Toronto and helps them figure their stuff out. And then he comes to an Islanders team that was really, what are they going to do? Tavares, you know, Tavares hadn't quote-unquote left yet. They were hoping Lamarillo and Trotz would get him to stay. He leaves, but on the fly, he figures it out, gets the pieces around Barzal. They make the playoffs. You know, each year has been an improvement under him. And, I mean, they're a few games away from coming back in this series and making the Stanley Cup final. And if it doesn't tonight, which I hope not, but, again, Tampa is such – got to be realistic. Tampa is the better team. The Islanders are underdogs. Islanders are down 3-1. Very few teams have ever come back. And it's going to be a tough battle. Can the Islanders do it? Yeah, any team can do it. But, I mean, in all likelihood, we know we know how good Tampa is and I'm pretty sure it's their time, them or Dallas, because both teams have been talks of, all right, when are they going to win a cup? It's their time. But, you know, we've seen growth from this team and Lamarillo's moves have paid off, which is why he wins the GM of the year. Yeah, and, and moving on now, we'll go to Joel Edmondson. And one of the more intriguing offseason moves I think I've seen in a while, because this was a, a defenseman who I personally think outside of Alex Petrangelo might be the most interesting one on the UFA market. And Montreal goes and sends a fifth round pick to Calgary, uh, to Carolina, excuse me, for a player that's going to be a free agent in less than a month. And obviously you want to have the exclusive negotiation rights, but I don't know necessarily if he signs there. And if he doesn't, you just lost a fifth round pick for a player you could have negotiated with in the long haul. And we've seen in the NHL, it's one of the few sports where it doesn't matter what round you're being selected in. There's, there's gems in every single round. And Joel Edmondson brings a lot to the table defensively. He's not going to light up a score sheet, but he will be that stay at home guy that a lot of teams need. I know from a Rangers perspective, I wrote an article for the hockey writers where they should target him because he does play so well in the defensive end. So an interesting piece, if Montreal does wind up inking him to a long-term deal, I think it's a good move in the long run. You pair him on the back end with Petrie and Shea Weber. And that's an interesting top three right there. Yeah, in the playoffs, see, defense wasn't really the problem for the Canadians. They allowed 1.90 goals per game in the playoffs. But again, they were getting a lot of scoring from their defensemen. Petrie was coming through. I mean, he was the storyline for them on defense. Weber's got the shot he's got. But it can't hurt to get another defenseman and help carry Price out more. I mean, Edmondson had a career high this year, 20 points for a guy that's not really an offensive juggernaut of a player. Seven goals, 13 assists, average 18 minutes and 27 seconds of time on ice per game. He had one goal in four uh, posting games. But like you said, he is a guy that is a very good defenseman. And honestly, I really thought that St. Louis was going to re-sign him, um, keep him because he was such a big part of their their championship run. And I think that this year, St. Louis struggled defensively in the playoffs. I mean, Bennington was not good. It didn't help that your goalie wasn't stopping anything. But Edmondson's a big key. And if Montreal counting him, great. If not, it's not terrible that you're losing a fit. It's not like you have a second or a third round pick for this guy. But he, he's not an old guy at all, and I think he could really help this Montreal defense and get them to be more structured. 
Yeah, I mean, like you said, a fifth round pick isn't the end of the world, but it's interesting when you think about you were going to have the same chance as every other team in the league in a month to sign him. So you could have kept your pick, especially a team like Montreal that I know they made the first round and upset Pittsburgh, but they're still rebuilding, if you will. They're they're retooling. They're Maybe ways away from rebuild. winning a cup. They're yeah, ways so away. I get the, the want to bolster your defense in front of Carey Price. And obviously they made a move acquiring a backup goaltender as well and Jake Allen. So they're, they're putting the back end first, which I love because as we've seen defense and goaltending when chips, you got to build it from the back end to the front. So Montreal is definitely going in the right direction, but it, just very interesting. I mean, I hope for their sake and for Mark Burzvan's sake that they do sign Edmondson because then a lot of questions will be asked about why do it if you don't have an inside track at signing. Yeah. Uh, before we go to the wild making moves, because they made two significant moves. Brendan, the Metropolitan Division just got a, a little tougher because Peter Laviolette Yes. Now the head coach of the Capitals. And I feel like he, first off, he's played for, he's coached every team that's Trotz has coached in his career. That is true. It's funny. That's, I mean, that that's true. It's very funny, but, but a great coach. We've seen what he can do. He's uh, Flyers are pretty sure he brought deep in the playoffs. Now, I mean, he's just been a great coach throughout his career. And I think that this Metro division, it's, it's just kind of insane of how, how, strong this division is compared to everybody else prime coaches prime goaltending now he's going to get samson off hope he's going to test the free agency but you know everyone like av's got heart um the rangers have uh shesterk and islanders have sorokin they're great goaltending in this division and great coaching this is going to be fun battle to see what happens next season it, it really is and this is a great hire because peter laviolette is a veteran coach he knows how to uh, figure out a defensive structure which is what the capitals really struggled with uh, this postseason round against the Islanders, the Islanders trapped them beautifully and wound up countering and they, they had no answer. So I think Laviolette's going to come in. He's going to help settle it down. And they realize right now that they got two to three years left to try and win another cup. Ovechkin's getting older. Backstrom's getting older. They're going to lose Holtby. Hopefully Samsonov can take over full time and be the same goalie he was in short spells this season. And I think that hiring a veteran coach instead of going a different route is the right move for this team. I completely agree. And I think, like you said, they're, they're running out of time. I mean, this Capitals team, you look at Tampa and it's okay. Well, Stamkos is getting older or Hedman's getting older or the McDonald, the old guys getting older, but then they have young guys like point that come in Chernak, Sorelli, all these young guys, the caps, you know, they have Tom Wilson's not that old, but Backstrom, Carlson, Ovechkin. I mean, they're not, they're not young, young players like they once were. They don't really have the farm system that's bringing up these young guys. Yes, the Hershey Bears aren't a terrible minor league team, but you're not hearing these big names come up and step in. Kuznetsov was probably the, the last one that really came in and was like, wow. And that was a couple of years ago. So I think it, the time's running out, but a great hiring, which really leaves the question if Gavar Gallant's going to be a perfect fit for Seattle and they should really target him because Laviolette would have been a great pick. Laviolette's gone now. Gavar Gallant seems like the guy for Seattle. If he gets Seattle, if he winds up coaching them and gets them to a conference final or Stanley Cup in his first year there and did it with two different expansion teams, he had, I've never seen somebody book a ticket to the Hall of Fame. I was going to say, he, he's taking the fast pass of Disney. And he's, going to the, <laughs> yeah, he's going right there. That's crazy. But going to the Minnesota Wild now, they did, made two very interesting moves. I, I like one of them more than the other because one is big, big money. But they signed defenseman Jonas Brodeen. To an eight-year, seventy, I think it's seven-year, not eight, seven-year, forty-two million-dollar contract extension with an AAV of six million per. And Jonas Brodin is never going to get the limelight, similar to a Joel Edmondson, but he's been very good in his time in Minnesota. He had twenty-six assists and two goals this season, a plus fifteen career low in giveaways, which I do like at fifteen. And 
he plays a lot of minutes over 21 minutes a game and he does very well in the defensive end. So I understand why they, they want to bring him back. I mean, the wild allowed the 10th most goals in this, in the uh, NHL this season at 217 to be on the plus side of that is very good. And yes, plus minus really dick. It's not a great stat to dictate how much you're worth, yeah. but he's your stereotypical defensive defenseman. He does his job every night. He plays in the second line, deep pairing with Matt Dumba. Dumba might now, you know, there's rumors that he's going to be on the move. They could get something for him. He's a young guy. He's more offensive than Brodine, but he's your consistent defenseman that you need. And that's something that, you know, the wild haven't had success in the playoffs, but you need a guy like that in the back end to just, you know, it's a guy like Eric Johnson on Colorado. You're, he doesn't really stand out, but he does his job. And when he's not in the lineup, you realize that, Oh my God, someone's missing the same way the Pelic for the Islanders when he was gone, it wasn't that Pelic's a superstar defenseman. It's just, when he played, the team played better, and I think Berdina has a similar effect. Yeah, he definitely does, and uh, they want to bring him back because at the same time, like you said, they, they struggled with with goals and, and allowing goals, and before we cut to a commercial break, I, the, they did also acquire Nick Bukestad from the Pittsburgh Penguins for a conditional pick in 2021. An interesting move. If Bukestad returns to form, that'll be a great signing for him. He does have 207 points in 439 career games. When we come back, we will have Christian Arnold of NYI Hockey Now joining us to discuss the Islanders and their last-ditch effort to avoid elimination tonight against the Tampa Bay Lightning. Stay with us. It is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. You're listening to the BS Sports Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome back to the BS Sports Show here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. As we said, Christian Arnold will be joining us momentarily to discuss the New York Islanders and Tampa Bay is one win away from the Stanley Cup. So we have Christian with us now. Christian, can you hear us? I yep, can. There you go. Clear. All right. Well, first off, happy belated birthday. Oh, well, thank you. Happy birthday. Thank you, guys. Um, so we'll just get right into it. So in your latest article, you talk about this Islanders first line that has to start picking up the slack. They have six points in this series. And Barzal said it's about putting the puck in the net. How much do you, you look at this and go, is it a problem with Jordan Eberle just not finishing because he's had prime chances or is it a line as a whole? It just hasn't really been clicking this series. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't, I wouldn't even say that. I don't think they've been clicking. They've, they've had their chances. Um, I think it's been the finishing. And sometimes when you're on that cold of a streak, I guess you could say that, um, you know, like anything else, you just start to overthink it. You grip the stick too tight, kind of all those cliches that we all kind of roll our eyes in eyes with but at the same time there's a there's a bit of truth there there's a reason why they're cliches um because there is a bit of truth i think you you see it there even last series like jordan everly is the guy who gets a lot of the focus right because um when you look at that line it's lee barzal and everly and the two guys that are supposed to score a lot of the goals there are barzal and everly so um you know when those two guys are not scoring and those they become the the focal point of this and um you know, with Everly, I think, you know, the guy couldn't buy a goal last series. It, it's got to be frustrating. And like I said, you start to grip the stick a little bit. You start to get a little frustrated. And I'm not saying that they've played terribly. Like, they, they've had their chances. It's just finding that finishing touch. And, of course, um, you know, Andre Vasilevsky has been playing phenomenal this entire series, too. So it's kind of a, you know, a perfect storm of everything where, you, you know, you get a couple guys who've been struggling to find the back of the net. And you get a hot goaltender. And um, it just it combines to be – um, a rough spot. The Islanders are going to need that, that scoring um, without, a, without a doubt. And you look at the comparison too, and I think that's part of it is the fact that the other, the opponent's top line has been doing so well. 
Tampa-based top line has been doing so well. Um, you know, they've had, they had six points in the game uh, in game four. The Islanders top line has six points the entire series. So, um, you know, that, that also tends to become a focal point too when you're not scoring and they are, especially the, the top line that you're going against. So that, that only adds to the pressure. Um, speaking of some moves that could be made tonight, you know, Trotz alluded to that there may be a few line changes, maybe some mix-up. Um, one thing I've heard is switching Anders Lee and Anthony Bovillier. And, you know, what can Bovillier bring to this line if he's now put on the top line? Yeah, I mean, look, Anthony Bovillier, obviously, you know, he's a pretty good um, addition to that, that, that top line or would be a good addition to the top line just because, you know, just changing it up a little bit. Anthony Bovillier has been been great too when you look at the second line you look at uh, Brock Nelson's production as well um Beauvillier is a great great assist guy he has a great vision on the ice I think the perfect example of that was the setup for the Brock Nelson goal the other day where um it was kind of that no look pass off the rebound um and I mean then the hustle play that he had the the, you know there too to kind of outwork the Tampa Bay uh, lightning defenders to get to the puck and set up a goal there. So I, I, you know, I think that it really, it would do the Islanders well. I mean, just, it also just changes things up. Right. And sometimes that's just the easiest thing. Like even the simplest fix sometimes is the, is the best one. So he certainly brings a lot of, a lot to that line. If that's the possibility that they go with, they certainly bring a guy that, that knows how to move the puck and certainly knows how to create chances and um, you know, put a, put a couple back in the back of the net as well. So he brings all that to, to whichever line that he'll be on um, if that if that decision is made. Yeah, we really saw his speed too, especially in the Capital Series when he makes his own plays and stuff like that. I think that's something that he could really help alongside Barzal, maybe even getting Eberly going. Um, look at the fourth line. Zekas has left the bubble with Kunako, but obviously Zekas is the main storyline. Obviously, we don't know what the injury is, but he had to leave the bubble, which means it was it's probably serious and he won't return. Pajot has been a great fit on that line, but you know, Zizekas hasn't been scoring, and people think, well, he's not scoring, he's not doing anything. But we know Zizekas as a guy on the fourth line that does a lot more than what the stat sheet shows. So what what is him not being in this lineup tonight and the last couple of nights? How does that really impact this Islander team? Well, I think it, it tests that center depth, right? We talked about it a lot going into the postseason in some of these series where um, the Islanders finally had the center depth that they that they so desperately needed during the regular season, especially after, you know, even after Pajot got here where – um, you know, he was kind of asked to do a little bit more because the Islanders were trying to fill in some of the gaps there without, um, you know, a guy like Sezikis there to, to center the, the fourth line. He's, he's a solid face-off guy. I mean, obviously he's been given a, a few opportunities and big moments to take defensive zone face-offs throughout the playoffs. And sometimes it's worked, sometimes it hasn't, but uh, more often than not, it, it works. And, you know, he's, he's been pretty strong in the, in the face-off dot. Um, so that's a huge loss for the Islanders right there. Uh, you talk about a guy that knows how to kill penalties. You can be an asset on, on the power play as well a little bit. Um, so, and you lose that energy guy. You know, the fourth line is always talked about as the, as the energy line. So you take him out of the equation. And that's not to say it changes the play of Cal Clutterbuck or Matt Martin, but it certainly changes the dynamic of that line. Um, and he can play that physical style that they do and, and still complement it with, with some of the offensive skill set that he has. And, um, you know, I guess you could say that Matt Martin picks up some of the slack there with five goals in the postseason too. So um, he's kind of been the offensive juggernaut on that line, which is, uh, you know, an interesting turn of events too. So, um, but yeah, you look at, you look at the loss of Casey Zekas and that's, that's a big one for the Islanders. They've, they've managed to kind of make up for it by, you know, getting Pajot in, involved and, um, you know, kind of these makeshift lines that they've, they've put together. So it, it's, it worked. I don't want to say that there was too much of a drop-off last game because the difference in game four was not, um, 
you know, losing a, a defense's own face-off draw or anything like that. It was a couple mental mistakes there right off the, after the Brock Nelson goal that gave the owners the, the lead in the second period. So, um, but it, it hurts them nonetheless. So we're going to give you a chance now to look like an absolute genius. Which player tonight <laughs> do you think steps up and, and comes through to help the team avoid elimination? Uh, you mean the chance to look like a fool? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, no, everyone's Happy always birthday. wrong. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, you know, I, I think I, I will say this. I'll, I'll go out on a limb and say I think this is the game that the, the, the Islanders' top line gets together and figures it out a little bit here. And I think you'll see – I think you'll see bars all get on the board and I think you'll see Everly pot one, um, which is a very, very bold prediction. So very bold. I will, I, will ask you, I will ask you to delete this entirely <laughs> if I'm wrong, but um, I think I'll say, I'll give them the, the edge here. Cause I think they understand. I think, you know, they've had to answer questions the last couple of days about it. It's been the focus um, really from, from, you know, NYI hockey now it's Newsday to the post to, to every other media outlet that's been covering this series, uh, is the lack of production from those guys. And they're very well aware of, of the need and the urgency for them to find the back of the net and put up some points because, you know, the Islanders, as they've said countless times, they're at their best when all four, four lines are rolling. And when you don't have that top line production, it puts a lot more onus on this and this, you know, the other lines there. And, um, you don't have the all four lines are rolling. So this is an opportunity. And I think they'll take advantage of it to, to get back to that and, um, you know, put up a couple points on the, on the board for the Islanders tonight. I, you know, they, they need to, this is the game that if they're going to do it, this is it. Yep. No choice. Yep, I do agree. I think Barzal is going to get a couple, but the, the usually, <laughs> you don't uh, want to go with me on Everly, huh? Well, Everly, it's see, I, I'm, I'm the host, so I can't delete this, so I have to go on the easier side. But <laughs> the, the usually sturdy Islanders defense, right? They've been victimized a couple of times by the cross ice pass, uh, numerous times in the series by the Tampa Bay Lightning. How can they prevent those seam passes and come away victorious in a do or die game five? Yeah, no, I think it's really been the fact that I mean, a, Tampa is such a quick team that the Islanders have struggled to to kind of match that and, and follow that up. Um, and I think you saw that in, in the, the way that in 27 seconds, the Tampa Bay Lightning went from losing the game one nothing to winning the game because, A, they, they transitioned right there, right off the draw, the ability to move the puck right from their own, their own blue line, right to, you know, basically a kind of home run pass to Blake Coleman to set up that, that you know, the, the breakaway goal there. Uh, and then the perfect perfection passing from from the top line there um the islanders have just been it's been tough for the islanders there's been some mismatches they've gotten caught flat-footed a little bit and i think that's kind of just getting back to the basics um you know and guys maintaining the pressure on their guy i mean another great example of that was the the, the tapping goal that uh, i believe that was point Braden point yes. yep. they can cut the goal um you know where there's no one down low to 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 take him, he's just sitting there on the side of the net and he gets two or three whacks at that. So, I mean, you just can't have that. I think that was Matt Barzal's guy too. Um, and Barzal kind of just skated by and, and didn't come back to try and, and push him off. So I, I think it's really just, the, you know, they got to take, take advantage of, or not take advantage. They have to stick with their guy um, and, and just be cognizant of the defensive assignments, especially when things start to get hairy like that. And then, like you were saying, they just need to get sticks in the passing lanes um, and break up some of the chances. It's not, you know, it's not rocket science sometimes what, what Tampa Bay is going to do. They just do it so effectively sometimes that, that, you know, the Islanders look a little silly. And, you know, that goal, that go-ahead goal there in, in the second period certainly was one of those instances. 
I think you nailed it on the head with the transition game for the Lightning. It's been just they've blown every team. That's how they've been winning. They, you know, the Islanders dump. First off, the Islanders do a very poor job of getting out of their zone, and when they do, they get it barely out of their zone, which allows Lightning to just go back in and do their job as the Islanders are changing from tired. And I think from being tired. Excuse me. <laughs> that's the biggest key for them. Why they've been so dominant in these playoffs? Just their their puck movement from defense to offense is just stellar. Yeah, and I mean too. The the funny thing is that's kind of where the Islanders' bread bread and butter is um, when they're playing at their best, right? They're they're a very good defensive team, which translates to creating those offensive opportunities. And you've seen that in bits and pieces, but they really haven't been able to establish that as, as much as I'm sure they'd like to. Uh, and then uh, comparatively, you look at the way Tampa Bay's been able to do that. They dominate the you know the offensive zone. Um, possession time has been skewed in their favor at certain points. And then, it's, of course, it's just taking advantage of those little mistakes. When the Islanders get caught flat-footed, when there's a little mistake, a bad turnover, um, that's been the difference maker. Uh, you look at a lot of these games, the Islanders not, are not playing, playing bad. They're playing right there with them at points. But it's those little mistakes that they're just not going to get away with against Tampa Bay. You know, they got away with them against Washington and Florida. Um, Philadelphia, you start to see – saw the – the tide turn a little bit where Philadelphia was kind of doing the same thing where um, they were creating those opportunities with an aggressive style of play and throwing the Islanders off their game and then capitalizing on these little mistakes. And now you're seeing it again with Tampa Bay, which uh, I mean, you look at the roster that Tampa Bay has, it's even, a, it's an even tougher roster. It's an even more talented roster um, than Philadelphia was. And they just, they have the firepower, even without Steven Stamkos in the, in the lineup that's going to burn you every time when you give them the opportunity to. And I think um, before we let you go, I think one thing about the Islanders is, you know, it seems like they keep making those simple, stupid mistakes that have costing them. But then you look at it and you know what? This Islanders defense is so good, but Tampa's just so aggressive, the forechecking that they're forcing these mistakes. It's not like the Islanders are just, you know, Taves trying to dump it into the, the zone and ices the puck. But you look at it and you look at the replay, there's a Tampa guy coming full speed at them. They have less time to make decisions. That's really, it's again, it's pretty much the speed and the thinking of the lightning is just a lot higher than every team they face, including the Islanders. Yeah. There's a reason why this team is incredible during the regular season. And, um, you know, they've really kind of bowled over the, their opponents during the postseason. here. Uh, you're seeing it firsthand. Uh, the Islanders are, like you said, they're, they're a good team. They're not playing terribly. Um, some of those turnovers, I would, I would disagree or, or maybe, their own doing more so than, than some of the pressure that Tampa Bay's uh, putting on them, but Tampa Bay, they're putting a lot of pressure on the Islanders um, and that their defense and that, that team is not afraid to throw body, throw bodies around. So, um, you know, you're seeing it too, again, going back to what I was saying before the Islanders kind of got thrown off, the, off their game against Philadelphia too, when they up their, their physical play. Um, and that's not to say the Islanders can't match it or they can't play physically, but when you combine all those factors into the circumstance that they're in right now, you're seeing why that those mistakes are being made. You're seeing why, um, you know, they're behind the series. You're seeing why the capitals are uh, the capitals, excuse me, the lightning are um, taking advantage of some of these errors that they're making because they are so quick and they are such a talented team that, um, you know, the Islanders just can't afford to do that. And then, um, you know, they, the Islanders have the skill set uh, there and they're also just not capitalizing on their own chances too. That's uh, been the biggest storyline too. When you talk about the power plane, when you talk about some of these missed chances in the top line, um, they've been there. Those opportunities have been there. They just haven't capitalized them. And then you look at Tampa Bay, they have, and, and here we are, you know, a three, one series hole going into a game five. Well, Christian, thank you very much for joining us today. And hopefully we can 
blast that prediction out full wide after uh, <laughs> Barzal and Everly both pot a couple. So uh, I think that we, we're going to be in, in good hands with, with that prediction. I, I have a feeling that you're going to be correct. If they score, I want the two of you tweeting it out from the mountaintops that I said this first Easy. at six forty ish um, before the game started. You know, we, I just we got it recorded, so we're perfect. gonna as soon as it's as soon as you're correct, the first goal. What if it's five minutes in? You know, then I'm gonna be you're gonna see Stefan tweeting out everything right away. Anyway, so. better. I better. I'm telling. You, if I'm not, I'm not coming back on. Like this is gold I'm giving you here. Yeah, I don't know if the mountaintops has good Wi-Fi, but we'll really try. <laughs> All right, man, Christian, thanks so much for coming on. Hopefully the Islanders give you a nice birthday win. If not, I'll have to buy you something. So we'll yeah, I mean, talk later. It's just good for the website, obviously, for NYI Hockey Now. It's good for, for that and, and <laughs> uh, Hockey Night in New York. Um, you know, as a, as a media member, you, that part is kind of gone, but you, the storylines and just keeping this, this run going is good for, uh, you know, good for, for people who are covering the Islanders. Yep. Yes, sir. Take care. Enjoy the game tonight. Again, happy belated birthday. You don't look a day over 23. So enjoy. Man. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. Appreciate that. See ya. Oh, what a nice guy. Great guy. And, and Bold listen, predictions. they are. And I, I think that that's a safe prediction to, to take today, because in order to usually win an elimination game, and, and we saw it when they eliminated the Capitals, bars all coming through and he scored a big overtime goal in that series. So I think that he scores Eberly has had numerous chances. And if he hits the net, like you've talked about, then yes, his prediction will be right. But I think that the biggest thing the Islanders are going to have to do is they're going to have to change. You don't want to fully change your schematics in the middle of a series because you've been doing it for this long and it's worked, but they're going to definitely have to sag that weak side point man down. They're going to have to get in the lane because all Tampa does is they, they take you on the outside. And as soon as you start to unwind from the middle out right across the middle of the ice and that back door is always open. And then they've scored, the game-winning goal that Kucherov scored was like that. They've had Shattenkirk score like that. They, they've had Braden Point, like he mentioned, score like that. So that's the key to, to shutting down Tampa Bay. I think like the hardest thing for this Islander group is the fact that the Lightning don't run three forwards and two D. Well, on paper, that's their position. They have five forwards out there, and they also have five D out there. Yep. They use their speed to get back. But, I mean, Victor Hedman, I mean, we saw the goal Sergeyev scored. That's a defenseman scoring a forehand to back end going top shelf goal. Hedman's been lighting the lamp every second. That's why their power play has been so good. I'm pretty sure they're at 30-something percent. Islanders' power play is at 7%. Yep. Now they're taking advantage of the Islanders' mistakes every single time. But, again, go back to transition before we move on to the Dallas Stars, who are now in the Stanley Cup Finals. It's the fact that the Islanders, the Islanders struggle to clear their own zone. And if they do get it out, it's a little bit. I, like I just said with Christian, it's the fact that the Lightning, with crisp passes, make quick plays that just throw the Islanders off. Islanders have been caught mismanaging and miss uh, losing their men plenty of times. I know Barzal on the point goal um, that happened the other day, Barzal got back in time, but he skated past the crease and he didn't yeah. stay with, he didn't stay with point and point gets two hacks at a, at a puck. I think he went on the first one, but regardless, you're back to, you got to go to the inside of the net and cut off um, right in front of him. That way that that goal does not happen. If Barzal, because Bar Barzal was back, all he had to do was be in the right spot. And he went to the outside of point rather than the inside. That's a goal. That's a big goal. And it's unfortunate, but I mean, let, let's be realistic. This Tampa team was amazing this year. They were amazing last year and realized that they messed up in the playoffs. And this is the year they're going to say, yeah, we're not going to make that same mistake twice. They've got great goaltending. Like we said, their defense and their offense have gotten from their D has been so crucial. It's been a difference maker because the Islanders, yeah, they got goals from, you know, defensemen at times, but it's just the threat. The Islanders defensive threat is nowhere near the, the threat of Tampa. And that's really been the storyline this 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 um playoff series 
I agree. Tampa Bay has just been right now the better team, and it's really as simple as that. And, and now moving on to the Dallas Stars, who after losing in the second round last year to the eventual Stanley Cup champion St. Louis Blues, find themselves in the Stanley Cup final. And if you're one of those NHL fans that started to uh, become a fan after the offensive outburst of recent years, you hate watching the Dallas Stars because they finished the regular season 29th in goals four with 178 and second in goals allowed with 174. So this team does not play in many high scoring games outside of the Colorado Avalanche series. But what they do well is they take advantage of their few opportunities and they shut you down. And part of them shutting down teams is Anton Kudobin and how miraculous he has been, especially in this last series against Vegas. Yeah, in the playoffs as a whole, the stats, they're solid. They're not amazing, but they're solid. 2.67 goals against average, 918 save percentage. And the biggest thing for a goalie and seeing, you know, how they come up in like the clutch is your goal saved above average. And while a guy like Vasilevsky has over six more saved goals than other goalies, He's at a positive 1.12 goal saved the buzz average, which is great because then you look at the Islanders goaltending and some of the Varlamovs in the negatives, as are a lot of goalies in the league when, you know, not coming through. But Kadobin's been great. In round one versus Calgary, 2.5 goals against average, 926 save percentage. Round two against Colorado, 3.29 goals against average, 895 save. That's a tough Colorado team that they had no business beating, which we all thought Colorado was going to find a way. They scored goals. But he not only rebounds from that series in a tough seven-game series, but now is his best round in the playoffs against um, – playoffs, excuse me, that was against Colorado, my bad. 3.29 goals against average, 8.95 save was bad. And you just, you just look, and he, he dominated against Vegas, 1.60 goals against average, 9.51 save percentage. If you're going to wait for that to be – I mean, that's as the playoffs go on, you're going to face better and better teams, yes – was Colorado a better team than Vegas statistically in the playoff scoring? No, they, but they were close. They were both good teams. But he shows up against Vegas against a tough goaltender in Robin Leonard, who's played out of his mind as well, finding a way to get it done. And no Ben Bishop. This is a guy that led the league in save percentage with a 930. He's not your stereotypical goaltender. We've talked about this over and over again. He does not look like a goalie that should be doing what he's doing. But he's doing wonders. And Brendan, uh, you know, we talked about it earlier. His post game, he won the award in the locker room. He gets a nice cheer, and he goes, "I'm not going to try to do his accent because it's just too good. You have to go check out YouTube for that." But he's like, "We're not going home," and they yep. all applaud and clap and have a goalie back there that you trust. Where maybe you didn't really have the complete trust in him going in. You know, you know, you lose your star netminder. Ben Bishop's been stellar as much as people think he's overrated. He's been he's been as advertised, very very good. Kudobin finds a way and they get, I mean, Brendan, you could dive into it. They have young players that have really stepped up. Yeah, I mean, definitely. And Anton Kudobin, what a beauty, by the way. The picture that's circulating around with him holding the mug of beer in the offseason. Just he's like your your everyday guy guy. You know, he doesn't seem like he's lost in the superstar of being in the NHL. And you couldn't, he seems like a great teammate, you know, and that's why the team rallies around him. But a couple other young beauties are Kiviranta and Gurianov, who both just continue to score big goals for this Dallas Stars team. Kiviranta, obviously had a hat trick and beating Colorado. And now all of a sudden he scores the game tying goal when Dallas seemed down and out in game five and forces OT where Dennis Girianov can score the game winning goal in overtime. One that I think Robin Leonard will want back, but at the same time, it's an absolute rip short side. And Girianov has scored this postseason, the ninth of the postseason and somebody at that young of an age to have the success that he's having as well as keep who's got four goals and minimal playing time, I think is, is really one of the keys. And outside of Jamie Benn and Joe Pavelski, 
the veterans haven't been scoring often for Dallas. Uh, obviously, Radulov has that big game winner. Sagan's played much better, but he hasn't been contributing offensively like you expect Tyler Sagan too. So these young guys have been huge, and and of course their defense has been amazing. Hey, you want to hear some fun facts about Gurianov? Let's hear it. Most goals in a playoff year, rookies in NHL history. He ranks one, two, three, four, sixth in that list. Dino Kicharelli, 1981, 14 goals. Gensel in 2017, 13. Marchant in 2011-11. Ronick in 1990-11. Claude Lemieux, 1986, he had 10. Gurionov with nine. And he leads all rookies in both goals and points this postseason. He is having a great run. That line of Janmark, Gurionov, and Pavelski has done wonders for this um, Dallas Stars team. And before we move on, Robin Leonard, despite you know wanting that last goal back, his glove hand was a little low, but... It's a power play goal. And they make mistakes. Leonard is a 919 save percentage, 1.94 goals against average in the playoffs. And he's rumored to have a five-year, $25 million extension. He would not talk about it. He said, I have not discussed contracts. We'll wait till after the season's over. Well, the season's over, and it looks like he will get the long-term deal he's been waiting for. In Vegas, Brendan, they had a 2 nothing lead in this game. They shoot themselves in the foot late. Tuck takes a tripping penalty, 14.36 to go in the third. And in the, in the um, overtime, White Cloud, a rookie, Delay of game penalty at 2.15 of overtime, and that cost him. That, that was tough to see, not, not because of the penalty, but just his reaction after in the penalty box, like his hands, head in his hands. And, and you feel for him because that's not something that anybody intentionally does. He's being back pressured, and he tries to whip it high off the glass. It just misses and goes over, and you really hope in that situation that your boys can pick you up and, and kill that one off. And they really, they did a great job up until that one shot. I think it was really the only clean shot that Dallas had on that power play. And it snuck by Robin Leonard and you could see how demoralized he looked, but that's not what lost the game. What lost the game was how quickly Vegas managed to take their foot off the gas pedal in that third period. They scored 12 seconds in, went up two nothing. And instead of rolling, they sat back and they kind of looked like similar to what the Philadelphia Flyers did against the Islanders when they had leads in that series. Yeah, you just can't do that in the NHL playoffs. You have to keep putting your foot on the gas and and go for the kill in that type of game. And they didn't do it. And Dallas gets one back. And next thing you know, you're going to overtime. And that game, as soon as it went to overtime, had all the feel that Dallas is going to win it. You Vegas looked demoralized. They looked like, wow, what just happened? They were stunned. And and the better team wound up winning the series, which I didn't think I would be saying in the beginning of it, but Dallas was definitely the better team. I mean, it's been ignored the phone ringing in the background, you know, busy day on the phone lines. No, but you look at it and again, Dallas didn't get a lot of credit coming into this, let alone making it this far to a Stanley Cup to a potential chance at winning. I mean, we'll see who makes it either the Islanders or Tampa, but regardless, I mean, they're the first team to make it to the Stanley Cup. They've earned it. I mean, your top guys step up when they've had to, your young guys have stepped up. I mean, it's just been a great story for Dallas. People are saying, well, Hockey doesn't belong in the South, blah, blah, blah. You know what? Hockey belongs everywhere. We got how many teams in California? Yep. Having hockey, having Dallas play the way they've played is just good for hockey. When a market that's not a traditional place for the sport does well, it just makes it such more of a special thing. And I, I mean, I'm looking forward to seeing what they do in the in the Stanley Cup playoffs. I'm assuming Kadobin's going to play lights out like he has been. It'll be a fun one to watch, regardless if it's Tampa or the Islanders. Yep, I, I agree. It's definitely going to be a very interesting Stanley Cup final because you have two different teams that are going to come out of the East. It's either going to be the transition and high-scoring Tampa Bay Lightning against the stout Dallas Stars or basically the Dallas Stars versus themselves and the New York Islanders. And either way, it's going to be very interesting. But before we go to commercial, we have about four, three, three to four minutes. 
Nathan McKinnon or Connor McDavid? I know you wanted to talk about this. You mentioned who people would pick to start their team around. And for what McKinnon's done success-wise in his career, McDavid hasn't reached that point of team success, but individual success he's had in, in leaps and bounds. Look, it's no question McDavid is a better player than Nathan McKinnon. While the mark might not be, you know, looking at the stat sheet, obviously McDavid has missed a lot of time with injury. He's played in 351 career games. Connor McDavid's, uh, uh, Nathan McKinnon's played in 525. So there's clearly a lot more, but you look at the points for McDavid, he's got 469 points and McKinnon has 495. And, you know, the question is, is you take McKinnon off of his team, you take McDavid off of his team, Edmonton's not making the playoffs if McDavid's not in there. I do think if uh, McKinnon's out of there, the Avalanche are. The question is, though, which team's more likely to win a championship putting them in? I think McDavid out, they don't make it. McDavid in, they're a playoff team, but they're not ready. They don't have the goaltending. They don't have the defense. Look at McKinnon, and his situation is very, very different. While they came up short this year, they were heavy favorites. And I think adding McKinnon back into the Colorado team puts them in a better chance to win a cup. Again, this goes back to the general manager building a team around. We've seen what happened. Shirelli has really just screwed the Oilers year after year with boneheaded moves he's made. But I mean, Brennan, I'm interested to see what you think, because again, it's no doubt about it that Connor McDavid's a better player. He's one of the best players in the league and probably will be all time when said and done. I just think McKinnon, with the team around him, he's just, he, it just fits. It just fits to becoming a championship contender rather than Edmonton, who's got a lot more things they have to do to get McDavid to winning a cup. Yeah, it's very interesting because McDavid has 26 fewer points and, and a much shorter time frame. He's also 23 as opposed to McKinnon, who's 25. And on the power play, McKinnon has 154 points, McDavid 137. So both players are extremely potent on the power play and five on five. <laughs> But to me, I look at it as if you put McKinnon on Edmonton, would Edmonton be able to even make the postseason? I think that they they would or they it would be close. It would be much closer than if they had McDavid. And I think if you put McDavid on Colorado, Colorado may have had a little bit more success already. Now, I'm not saying this year because obviously what McKinnon did this postseason was absolutely absurd. And I don't even know if McDavid would have been able to do what he did. But over the last two years of – Colorado being becoming more of a contender. I think that with that team around him, it won't, it won't just be the McDavid and Dreisaitl show. McDavid would have a better supporting cast. And I think that he would be a better driving force, but also McKinnon is six foot, 200 pounds. Now, this is a big boy. We see him do some reverse hits. So he's got the size on McDavid. Now, I mean, look at me, if I'm blindfolded and have to pick at one player to start a franchise out of a hat with these two guys in it, I won't be disappointed either way. I just think it's very interesting because these both guys have had success. And the thing is, can McDavid stay healthy? His stats obviously show that when he is healthy, he's the best player in the league. The problem is we talked about earlier. If your best player is not on the rink when it matters the most, then how, how important, I mean, obviously they're important, but you know, how can they be a game changer? Like there are, we saw McDavid, he didn't show up for game one, I think in the, the qualifiers then showed up in game two and dominated it. But we saw McKinnon, what he did the whole entire playoff run, it just goes to show that I really think even with the stats being as close as they are with McDavid missing a lot more games than uh, McKinnon has, I just think McKinnon has, again, the team around him, he's just in a better chance to win right now. And I think, again, it comes down to Shirelli messing up. But McDavid, you see that his line mates. I mean, he's got Zach Cassian on the top line with him. You look at McKinnon and who, he, who does he have? He has superstars on the lines with him. And I think that 
just playing with a McDavid obviously would probably make those players so much better. I don't think McKinnon on the Oilers could help a guy like Cassian get a long-term. I mean, Cassian got his deal because of McDavid. If he's not playing with McDavid, Cassian's probably a fourth line player at most, maybe third. And I mean, yeah, I would have to, you know, I took the hot take that McKinnon was a better player for his team. But hearing your points, Brendan, I'll have to admit that I agree. McDavid is the better player. I just think it comes back to more the team around him. Yeah, I mean, that's obviously somebody needs to help McDavid out. And he signed a long term deal in Edmonton, which really is not beneficial for him. But to put it in perspective before we had to break, McKinnon has 25, had 25 points in 15 playoff games. McDavid had nine and four. So both these players are exceptionally talented and they're both young. So we're going to see them for a long time coming. Stay tuned because after this commercial break, we're going to dive into the MLB. A lot of big headlines to go into and a lot of more hot takes to talk about. Stay with us. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. You're listening to the BS Sports Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. All right, everyone, welcome back to the BS Sports Show. And now we're going to dive into the MLB. Of course, the big news around Major League Baseball was the Chicago Cubs, Alex Mills, who threw a no-hitter, and any anytime somebody throws a no-hitter, it's amazing to watch. It's especially in a 12 nothing game, the fact that he didn't lose the focus, and usually at that point, somebody just winds up caving in, but he struck out five in a no-hitter, which is absolutely absurd how low it was, and kept his pitch count down, walked three, and that, that was it. The only three people to reach base that game. The first time since 1969, Ken Holtzman, where there's – five strikeouts or fewer in a no-hitter. And it tied Oakland's Dallas Braden during his perfect game in 2010 for fewest in a no-hitter since at least 1988. And he's the last Cubs since Jake Arrieta in 2016. Remember, that's when Arrieta was on yep. top of his game. And then, you know, he's MIA with the Phillies. He doesn't even do much anymore. I don't even know. <laughs> but you look back and it's always, it's always these guys that throw it. None of these, it's, I mean, yeah, superstars do it, but Philip Umber, Chris Heston. Chris Heston did it against the Mets when he was on the Giants. No recollection of where, him wherever he went. You don't. Philip Umber was, a, I think, a fourth or a fifth pitcher for the Chicago White Sox. He did it. I mean, we saw Giolito do it earlier in the year. That's a good pitcher. And it's always, I think it's these guys for a reason. It's because you don't expect it. And they come out there and they obviously he's not striking out 13 or 14. He had a nice pitch count. He's just in control. And it's very hard where maybe. Players against him don't really know. You know, a top star pitcher, the scattering report's all there. They know exactly what they're going to throw when. They usually have a good idea of what they bring. And a guy like Mills, you know, maybe the other teams don't really know exactly. And you usually see these ha- things happen early in a season, in like April or May, because the uh, hitters got to get used to playing again. But no, we're in August, and yes, the season started late. But this is, we're in prime baseball with a week or two left of the regular season. And yeah. it's really cool to see. And after the game, he goes, it's kind of crazy. I didn't even know how to celebrate just something that all came together today. Obviously, a memory I'll have forever, and great for him, and it's great for baseball when you see things like this happen. Yeah, and he kind of summarized it there that it's something that all came together today. I think every pitcher in the MLB has the stuff to throw a no-hitter. The problem is that usually when you have a good curveball and good fastball, your third pitch isn't working, and it very rarely do all three or four pitches work. And in order to throw a no-hitter, you need every single pitch to work. You need to plan it accordingly. Your catcher has to call a good game. So, so many things have to occur. And, and a lot of things that don't get talked about in no-hitters is the catcher and how happy it makes a catcher feel to catch one because you're doing a lot of work there. You're, 
you're holding runners on if they are, you're calling the right pitches, framing pitches. So just an all around great job by the Cubs and congratulations to Alex Mills. Well, yeah. One thing before we move on is usually in no hitters or perfect games, it's like one big play in the field or yeah. really, he was really in control. A few line drives to the outfield, but you know, routine catches. And I think that's a big difference maker that will set this no hitter apart from other ones. Cause I mean, you look back at, the biggest plays happen in these games. You go, oh, seventh inning, that catch on the wall or mm-hmm. diving play. You didn't need that. He was in that, he had that much control that that wasn't needed. He just, phenomenal, phenomenal game for him. Yep, that much control while pitching to contact too, which is pretty, pretty remarkable. The Oakland Athletics, one of their big names and Matt Chapman is out for the rest of the season after getting hip surgery. And that, that is a huge loss. He wasn't having a great year, only batting 232 with 10 home runs and 25 RBIs. But, at the same time, that's still Matt Chapman and come postseason time, you do want his glove at third base, despite him having a career low 944 fielding percentage this year. Yeah, if this was the year to get hurt, this probably was. I mean, he's having a, a terrible season, but he provides protection for a guy like Matt Olson. This lineup, Semyon, Matt Olson, this, this Oakland A's team has been very, very good this season. They sit first place in the AOS 29 and 17 record. And losing it, first off, he's a leader in the field. You look at him and when he's on his game at third base, he's like a Nolan Arenado. He makes unreal plays. And yes, 944 career, uh, 944 fielding percentage this year is not where he's, you know, usually at. He's definitely 950, 960 or above. And I think it's a big loss for Oakland, who again is in first place, but they're in a, they're in a tough division as well. I mean, obviously you have teams like the Astros, um, like the Angels who don't do things, but, you know, it's hard to lose a guy when you're on top. Luckily for them, they're not fighting for that last playoff spot because losing it like this probably means you're done, but they have, they have the, the lead in the division and they'll be okay. But if they need their replacements to come in, Sheldon Noose, if I even pronounce that right, N-E-U-S-E, 25-year-old, he's batted 250, zero homers, seven RBIs this year. I'll tell you right now, he's not a better defensive third baseman. So we'll yeah. see what this Oakland A's can do to help help at that position, but also in the lineup losing a key bat. Yeah, I mean, for the athletics, they're in third place in the postseason standings there in a battle with the top between the White Sox and Rays. And they're 30 and 18. The, the closest team in their division is the Houston Astros, who are 23 and 24. So uh, they built up a sizable lead where they're not going to worry about somebody catching them. They still have enough pieces in pitching to maintain that, but you really don't want to lose Chapman for the long haul. And, and like you said, if there was a year to get hurt, it's this one, but this is also the best the A's have looked in a long time. And this is the first time they might not have to face the Yankees in a playoff game. So, you know, they, they really wanted to have a full healthy team and go have a run at a chip you also don't know how long i mean i don't know how long you're out for hip surgery it's it's definitely months and does it impact next season for them that's a key question because this year while it's still a season and people are playing for a world series you know you look back and go okay maybe it's just a wash let's forget about this but i mean it depends hopefully he doesn't have excuse me hopefully doesn't have a setback or anything like that again key bat despite batting 230 it, it doesn't matter it's what you do now and what you do in the moment i've said that over and over again in sports we're so key on looking at Stats, stats are everything. Well, Sanchez is batting 190, but you, or whatever he's batting one, it's been bad. Mm-hmm. But it's, don't even look at the stats when he comes to when he comes up to bat with bases loaded. In the moment, all right, forget your stats aside. Get a hit, get a walk, make the pitcher work. It doesn't matter what you're batting in that moment. It matters you coming through. And Chapman, I know for a fact in previous years and this year, he's a big weapon to have in the playoff because he could come through with that big hit or that big glove at third base. Exactly, and that's why you 
don't want to lose him. But like you mentioned, the bat, Albert Pujols, one of the best bats baseball's ever seen. And he's still at his old age. He's still hitting home runs. He had his 660th home run, which ties him with Willie Mays for fifth all time. And it's just, you know, he's such a great guy. You watched him at when he was with the Cardinals signing things for fans. You watched him at all-star games, bringing his son, like just a genuine love for baseball. And He's in a lot of record books. And, and let me tell you something, one of the most storied careers that we've witnessed in, in the MLB. And it sucks. We've obviously grown up with Albert Pujols. And when he's gone from the, from the league, it's going to be tough because, you know, you're used to Albert Pujols. And obviously you don't hear his name as much due to him getting older, not playing to the level we're used to. But also he's at West. You know, yes, when he was in St. Louis, we're not watching him as much. But, I mean, he was so good. With St. Louis comes to the Angels, that deal is probably not going to pay off for the Angels, which we'll get to the Angels later because they're just it's a struggling franchise. But good for Albert Pujols because he gets to go out there. Yes, he DHs. You see him running around the bag after home runs. It looks like a struggle. To me, it does. But his body's clearly failing him a little bit. But, I mean, if he can keep hitting and crushing baseballs, keep it going. They got the DH position for a reason. And it's yep. just awesome to see a guy that's really been an amazing guy on and off the field. He's really helped his teams. He comes through in big moments. It's been a pleasure watching him play. Yeah, and definitely. And, and whenever he does call it a career, you, you can expect a Hall of Fame speech to be given by him uh, within five years of his retirement. So now moving on to one of the funnier stories of the week, the Houston Astros finally came to LA to play the Dodgers and the Dodgers fans desperately wanted, like Yankees fans did, to be in attendance when their teams met. But you couldn't. So what they did was they waited outside the stadium by the players entrance for the players to come while they were holding signs and banging garbage cans. And in the middle of the game, a plane flew over the stadium with a banner that read Houston cheats, bang, bang. And I think it's just hysterical that it's kind of gone lost. And, you know, obviously there's a world pandemic going on, which has a lot more significance. You have the presidential election coming up. There's so many other events that are happening that this has kind of gone on, like been brushed under the rug, but L.A. still remembers, and they did a great job of, you know, rubbing it into Houston's face. I mean, listen, the Astros got off beautifully with COVID and not getting punished severely at all. Good for the Dodgers because – good for the Dodgers fan base because, they, you know, they look at the schedule. They circle the dates the Astros are coming. They're ready. People are going to pay high price to go there and embarrass them. And, and whoever – the plane idea, brilliant because they can't stop the plane <laughs> yep. from going over there. And it's just awesome because – you know, it shows this rallies around an organization. This Dodgers team should have had a Super, uh, super Bowl. Oh, my God. Should yeah. have had a World Series. Uh, sorry, football started in my head's in 30,000 different places. <laughs> they should have had a World Series. I mean, look at the Yankees, too. You never know. I mean, the Astros really screwed a few franchises around, and they screwed fr uh, careers, definitely, with players coming and facing them and they're never getting a chance. Good for Dodgers fans. And if you're an Astros fan or a player – as much as you want to deny everything that happened, you deserve it and you got to suck it up and deal with it. Unfortunately, they don't really have to deal with the fans because it would have been watching the games. Any, any, every Astro game would have been must watch when they weren't home. Yep. It would have been, you wouldn't be able to hear the announcers with the booze, the garbage, everything. And it sucks that we don't get to see it. But I think next year when the fans come back, nobody forgets and they'll do the same thing again until I honestly, years to come, the Astros will be known for this and fans won't forget. When they were scheduled to come to Yankee Stadium in the end of September, which would have been a key series because both teams were expected to still make the playoffs. And I could tell you that Yankee Stadium would have been loud and one of the most fun places to be during that three-game set. So I know Yankees fans are disappointed, but trust me, when next year fans are allowed, 
uh, they'll they'll remember. They won't forget. But there was still games that were played in this series, and the two teams split. They each took one. Houston won the first game seven to five, despite trailing five to one in the eighth and five to two in the ninth. And the Dodgers closer Kenley Jansen came in, gave up five runs, four of which were earned, did not record an out in the inning. Uh, similar to what happened to Chad Green and Adam Adovino for the Yankees the other day. But uh, they they definitely did not get what they wanted out of Jansen. And it, it leads to the question of just how good are the Dodgers, which we'll get to in a second. But that this game wasn't the way they drew it up, even though they bounced back in game two. I mean, look at Kevin Jansen. And this is not the first time he's failed the Dodgers. I mean, in the playoffs, he does that as well. He doesn't come through and it matters. And I think that for this Dodgers team to be – are they really this good or is it a schedule issue, like a schedule scheduling thing with the teams they've played? We'll get to that in a second, but I mean, Dodgers, they just, they use openers. Bullpen allows one run over nine innings. Dodgers respond with the eight, one win in game two. And I think, you know, against an Astros team, you're trying to make a statement. You're trying to make a statement saying, all right, this is the actual Astros we're facing. They're no longer cheating. We could still beat them. And they did that in game two. I just think, you know, you need your you need a player like Kenley Jansen can't do that. And fortunately, the Dodgers are, quote unquote, the best team in baseball statistically. And they don't need I mean, this game loss stinks, but it's not like it killed their chances of making the playoffs. They still have a good spot to be in. But Kenley Jansen's got to figure it out because when playoffs roll around in a couple of weeks, you can have outings like this because that could be, you know, it's best of three series. Right. Yep. So it's crucial. One game like that, it's not like you have another four, three or four games to figure it out. That could be the make or break for a series. So Kenley Jansen, stop doing that. Yep. So we're going to get into, are the Dodgers really the best team in baseball? Last night they played the San Diego Padres, lost seven to two. So their, their record's 33 and 15, which is still the best in the league. Now, interestingly enough, they're eight and two against Arizona, who's 17 and 31, three and zero against the angels who are 20 and 28 and so on and so forth against all the teams that they play that are below 500. Now in their division, the only other team that's above 500 is the San Diego Padres. And in the AL West, who they're also playing, the only team above 500 is the Oakland Athletics, who they have not played yet. They're four and four against the San Diego Padres. They're three and one against Houston, but they did split this latest uh, three game set. And it's really interesting because they played 13 blowout games, which they're 12 and one in. So they've won, they've won 12 games via blowout, but you know, come postseason, the pitching's tighter. You're not going to be beating teams by five runs. So if you take out 12 of those wins, now they only have 21. It's a very interesting scenario here that's playing out. They might be a little, they might be playing above their heads based on their competition, which I don't know if that's a good thing come postseason when all of a sudden the competition ratchets up. I think the Yankees are in a better spot when they enter the playoffs than compared to the Dodgers because they've been tested and they failed. And when you fail, you learn. Well, you should learn, but you usually learn more often when a team, I mean, look, Look at the Dodgers and look at the Boston Bruins in hockey. This is a team that was the best team in the league. They deserved it. They played well. The Dodgers, again, they deserve it. They didn't make the schedule. They go out there and play their butts off, and they win games. But you look at it, and, and then, you know, you go into a playoffs, and then the Bruins lose. They don't make it to the finals. You look at the Dodgers year after year. They said they're going to the finals, and they don't ever do it. And that's what the regular schedule playing good teams. I mean, you look at it's against the San Diego Padres, right? They're 4-4, they're four and four, I'm pretty sure. Uh, against the Padres, they are four and four, and they still have three more games left of this set. So the do- uh, the Padres, who were behind them in the standings, have played them one quite game. well. well by game one and game, half. and that's and that's a Padres. That's a young team coming up with a ton of you know they're riding momentum. They really are with the young guys they have. The pitching's been great, but you look at it and go okay against a veteran team. Can the Dodgers? Because you're not going to be able to kill teams, like you said. Yep. The defense is tighter. Everything's tighter. 
And then it looks back and like, all right, in a 2-1 game, Kelly Jansen coming in. Is he going to get it done? I mean, you want to say yes, but, you know, the bullpen will have to do a great job. We know how Kershaw has been in the playoffs in the past. It hasn't been superstar Kershaw. They have a lot of young guys, though. But you just look at it and you think, all right, the Dodgers are the best because of their schedule, and that's fine. Again, you, they don't make their schedule, but when it comes around to playoff times, the teams are going to get better as the playoff goes on, and the lack of playing those tough teams, especially if they make it to the, excuse me, to the World Series, you know, these are teams. These are very, very good teams. They're going to make it to the finals. Yeah. Kind of Dodgers team that's been riding easily to the top of the division and find a way to get it done, and that's a tough thing when they haven't really had to battle that much. So right now they're in the one seed, which if they lose the series, will it, it could change. But they're slated to play the San Francisco Giants, who are in the eighth spot right now. The Dodgers are six and four against them, so they played ten games. The Giants, who nobody thought would even be in the spot, have played the Dodgers very well. So I, that's not an easy series by any means, even though it's a best of three. The team that's a, a game behind them is the Cincinnati Reds, and that to me is very interesting because of how much hype the Reds have had. But in a three-game set, and when you have to face Sonny Gray and Trevor Bauer at the front of that rotation and Luis Castillo, that's a tough trio of pitchers to have to face in a three-game set for the Dodgers. And, and it does create a couple – there's some interesting matchups. It's not like they're going to cruise through that first round. We've seen what the Giants can do against them already. And the Reds have the three pitchers that you would want to go against a team like the Dodgers. Yeah, I think the Reds. That would be a great matchup to watch. And honestly, I take the Reds pitching. The yep. Reds pitching has been a problem in the past, but Sonny Gray has really provided a spark for a guy that couldn't do anything in in pinstripes. And then you got a guy like Bauer who, you know, he leaves Cleveland and he has dominated. And he always outspoken. He's such a funny guy. He was wearing a shirt, I think, in a post-game interview that said, like, follow me on YouTube. The things that he says, and he's like, I think it was he got taken out of a game and the opponents were booing him or something. And he started like, you know, he just, he just, a guy that really just goes with the flow and he doesn't care about the hate, anything like that. I think a yep. guy like that, it's easier to pitch in the major leagues when you don't care. When players that do care and hear the crowd, obviously there's no crowd, but hear people yelling at them. And Trevor takes that and puts it in his pitching and just absolutely dominates it. I would take, I would take Cincinnati in a series over the Dodgers. I know how good their Dodgers offense is, but in the playoffs, it's defense wins championship. And that starts with starting pitching, giving you innings. And the Cincinnati Reds have gotten innings from their pitchers and their bullpen looks Really, really good. This could give Dodgers, this could be an upset if that is the case. But the Giants, again, I'm, I mean, you said the Giants are in a playoff spot. That's hysterical to me because, you know, they had no business doing anything this year. They lose Posey, who has not been the, the player he's been in the past. They lose him. Uh, Sandoval, they designated for assignment. He hasn't been good at all. He got signed by the Braves, I'm pretty sure. It's a weird, but Yastrzemski's been great. They have guys that have been great. They have veterans in, in uh, Crawford. You know, they have these veteran players. Johnny Cueto pitching. It'll be very interesting to see if the Dodgers could hold on, but I think the hot take is the Dodgers may be the best pitchers, in, uh, mess, excuse me, the best team in baseball on paper, but in the playoffs, I don't think they're going to get it done. So uh, before we go to a break right now, are, are you willing to say that the Reds, if they make the postseason, are going to upset the Los Angeles Dodgers? Yes, I'm going wow. with that hot take. I really that is... do. I just... First off, I love the Reds. The Reds team is very good for the first... I mean, they've been good, but you know... Castellanos was a key addition for them. They're one, two, three in the, that's what it is. And it's different in the three game series than compared yeah. to a five, uh, usually, and then seven because one move, one make or break, one bad outing by Kenley Jansen, one bad pitch by Kershaw. It's crunch time. It's no longer we have a few games to rebound. It's all right, we lose the first game. Your back's against the wall the second game, and then you have to have to have the faith that you're going to find a way to get it done. 
obviously if they could out hit their opponents, the Dodgers will win because they're just power, but the Reds offense isn't a joke either. Nope. So I do think that we will see an upset if that is the case. All right. So we're going to get ready to head to commercial break. And when we get back from the break, I will reveal why I'm wearing this pinstripe jersey right now. And we'll dive into New York baseball as well as our two MLB hot takes. Well, the one remaining MLB hot take, I should say. So please stay with us and we'll see you in five minutes. It's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. You're listening to the BS Sports Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. All right, everybody, welcome back to the BS Sports Show. And I'm going to tell you why I'm wearing the Yankees jersey. So last week, if you were watching, I went on a rant, a very impassioned rant, we'll say, about the Yankees and their lackadaisical play, injury-prone tendencies and struggles. And what happened? They've won five straight since then. So I'm taking full credit for that one streak, obviously, because I participated so much in their wins. And let, let's see if they can continue it. They're down one nothing right now against the Toronto Blue Jays in the second inning, but they have first and third and one out with Brett Gardner up. Please, Brett, do not into a double play. And let's see if I just put that into reality. Putting things into reality, I've done that way too many times on Twitter. So I apologize to everyone following me because, you know, I'm wearing this jersey for a reason too, but I'd rather not talk about that. So, Brendan, yeah, your rant has really given them a kick in the butt to play better. Obviously, like you said, they're down one nothing. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. with a home run. I mean, that guy could absolutely rake. Yep. But coming into this game, the Yankees won five straight games. They've scored 28 runs. They're averaging 5.6 runs per game, and they've allowed only five. So do the math. You know, we're all mathematicians. That's one run a game, and that's a complete difference because we have seen this starting rotation – struggle and the bullpen struggle but it seems like they're finally finally getting back into yankees baseball that we expect yeah so like you said they have pitched a lot better one of those pitchers that hasn't actually gotten a win in his two very good starts is jay hap who's got 11 and a third three earned runs and 15 k's over his last two starts which he wants to pitch in the postseason you could tell that after that little two-week stretch early on where boone was kind of skipping his start he took that personally, and he's pitching like the guy they acquired a couple of years ago when he came to New York and went on a little bit of a, a tear. And Brett Gardner with an RBI signal. So there we go. They came through. And, and listen, this five-game winning streak started against Toronto. They're now uh, they're a half game back of the Jays, who are 26-20. and 20. The Yankees are 26-21. and 21, And they're sitting in the seventh seat. This game, it, it, this series is huge because if they wind up coming out on top, they're slated to play the Minnesota Twins. And we all know the Minnesota Twins have struggled. I think they've lost 19 straight postseason games, 16 of which – actually, it's 16 straight, 13 of which are against the New York Yankees. So the Yankees have their number. They have a sense of confidence going into that series. And listen, they, they have to take care of their, of their business right now. This is the Yankees team now. They're fully healthy, minus Judge. And it's time for them to step up and do what they have to do. Funny, though, I'm pretty sure last year they were not good against Toronto at all when it mattered the most. Yep. And um, it's awesome because this is this is what baseball is all about. We have a week or two left. I Again, I keep saying a week or two. It's, I think it's two weeks. Um, but you look at it as, like you said, they have to handle business. They're going against the team that's in front of them. They have to win as many games as possible. And big guys coming back tonight. Stanton comes back or Shella comes back. Now the question is, can Stanton stay healthy? We think Arshella can. He had a bone spur, but everything seems to be fine with that. But standing back in this lineup is great. I know, you know, we get into it in a second about Torres because he has a little bit of an injury issue right now. But 
you know, they're seventh seed. They're 26 and 21. Yankees take care of business tonight. It's tied 1-1. Keep building on this win streak. Obviously, they're going to lose eventually. All hot teams do. But now's the time to win. And even if you lose, build off each game because you have to go into the playoffs with momentum. We've seen teams that go into the playoffs losing. doesn't usually bode well. You want to be on a hot pace going in. Yep, I, I agree with that 100%. They set it up perfectly. Debbie Garcia, game one. Garrett Cole, game two. Tanaka, game three. So they have their arguably their three best pitchers right now, the way Debbie Garcia has performed going in this series. And I actually, you know, wrote an article today for the for Yanksco Yard about how Gio Urshela is the most important Yankee that's going to come off the injured list ahead of Judge and ahead of Stanton because of his defensive ability as well. And this gave him a great play at third base. And they're ready in a double, putting him in scoring position as well. Gary Sanchez, of course, struck out. So uh, I think that every Yankee uh, over the last five games has started to show progress. Even though Sanchez just struck out, he's had better at-bats. You've seen the pitching, a complete 360. The only one that's looked a little shaky still is Adovino, who was not able to get out of that inning. But Green had a clean inning. The starting pitching looked great. And I don't expect the starting pitching to stay as dominant as they are right now. Hopefully Cole does. But you don't need them to be completely dominant. Two to three runs a game will be fine over five or six innings. And and right now I've seen enough to believe that they have at least three starters come postseason time, even with Paxton on the IL, that they'll be able to get that done. That's been the biggest thing in the past too. With you had guys like Sabathia, half. It was even Tanaka, it's get them through five innings, let the bullpen take over. And when you weren't getting the great starting pitching or you were, the bullpen wasn't handling the job. And you're seeing on this win streak, one run allowed per game. That's a team effort with first off. The starting pitching and bullpen playing great, but getting run support. You know, the biggest thing we think with the the relief pitching struggling was the fact that the Islander, uh, oh my god, the Yankees weren't giving their pitchers run support. They're coming in in close games, and obviously in the playoffs they have to be better in close games. The pitching can't say, well, your offense you didn't give us runs. I mean, look at Jacob Degrom. It's not an excuse for him to go out there and do his job. But I think now with the bullpen finally settling in, the starting pitchers not even playing well, but giving you six innings instead of five, or coming out in five of shutout baseball, it bodes well. You talk about Hap, how he hasn't gotten wins, but he's very good starts. He wants to pitch. Every player's got to be playing as if, hey, this is my chance to prove that I belong because the rosters are going to, you know, you, you're not going to pitch a Hap in a best of three series unless he's going to the, into the playoffs. Right absolutely on. dominant. And you look at a guy like Cole. Let's say Cole never came out of his slump. Obviously, you're starting him in the playoffs, but it's shaky. You're like, oh, God, I hope he better do well in game one because they're in trouble. But now if he could go in now on a hot streak, we know how good he is in the playoffs, and it, it bodes well for this team. Speaking of Gio Urshula, Brendan, he's a terrible third baseman. Everyone says he's not really that good defensively. Statistics you could take metrics and your analytics and shove it because we all know <laughs> what he does, right? He doesn't move well enough to the left to be a top tier. Please get out of here, right? That's why they shift nowadays anyway. So he, he's a very, very good third baseman, a very good offensive third baseman and defensive third baseman as well. Obviously, they got or him back and Stanton back for this game. But in typical Yankee fashion, they can't have good news without having some bad ones. Uh, Boone said that Torres, although the quad's acting up, would be in if this was a playoff game, which I don't believe anything that comes out of Boone's mouth anymore because on Sunday it was just a day off for him, and now all of a sudden he has an injury. Um, But I do believe that he is telling the truth that if it was a playoff game, he would be in, which leads me to believe they're being cautious here because of the return of two of their bigger bats, you don't necessarily need to have them in this lineup. Although this is a pretty big game in series. So it's got to be somewhat significant if he's missing it. Well, I think if it gets down to it and they need a pinch hitter in a situation, he'll come in. Well, that'll be the test, right? That'll be the test. If Boone, you know, 
actions speak louder than words. And we've seen Boone said some things that, you know, haven't been on par with what you like when they said, oh, we're going to ride Sanchez and Boone benches him. You know, I mean, that's, that's not a, you know, the communication there, obviously Cashman's doing his job back in his player. And then Boone goes, uh, Cashman, we got, we're going to bench him tonight or a few days later. And it's like, well, what's going on? But I think the biggest thing is, yeah, if you, if he comes in in a pinch hit situation, then, you know, he's healthy enough to play there being cautious. But if it comes up where bases loaded two outs and I don't know, Tyler Wade's up. He just got a hit though with two outs. Tyler Wade. Yep. So it's two on Yankees. So, wow. Okay. He just made two right. your words. <laughs> Rewind six seconds. If, um, I don't know, Sanchez comes up and bases loaded two outs, and they have the faith in him and they, you know, all right, let's go. If they keep Sanchez in, you know, okay, maybe, maybe Torres is something a lot more wrong with him. We've seen quad injuries, hamstring. It's just always lingering, but there is still another good news to sandwich the good news, the bad is in the good judge should be back this weekend. Yeah. And there was a video circulating today on Twitter of him ripping a home run and, and a couple of singles as well at the alternate training site. And I think that with them, they're just being cautious. Uh, they don't want to rush him back, even though he will be back at some point this week. Similar to Torres, I think if this was a playoff game, he'd be in the lineup and he looks like he's moving around well. Anytime you could add Judge back, it, you need him, right? Obviously, you don't know. I don't know what's going to happen with Frazier because he's played he's exceptionally so well. well yeah even in the field too the place he's making yes he'll have his mistakes he's not a superstar in the outfield but the, the do they the, trust him enough to put him in left field and take Gardner out because Gardner's been I, I know he has an RBI single today but he's been miserable this season not even that he's making errors in the field and if you're not going to hit well you you got to be defend I mean this is Gardner is a defensive player before he's an offensive player and he's had success I mean last year he set a career high in home runs I'm pretty sure but if you're not going to hit this season, the same way with other guys in that lineup, like a Talkman, you know, he's not batting well, but when he plays the field, he get he does, he does a lot of good things in the field. He's a very underrated fielder, but Carter, you can't be coming up with errors in the field. If you're not going to hit, unfortunately he's getting hits tonight. And that's, you know, a big run on the board for the Yankees. But I think Frazier has to be in there. Do you have faith with him in left field? He played a lot of right field with, with judge out. And I've yep. honestly, I didn't like him in, last year in right field. He was bad. He was very bad, but he's clearly, I mean, Boone's even said it. He's put in the work to make, to get the job done. I, do I, I, tr- I trust him because also his bat's been good. Yep. And, and I think it, the fielding, is he going to make the amazing plays? No, but he's made some amazing plays though. More often than not, when you think, all right, this is going to be a tough play for him to make. And he comes up with the diving catch or the great throw or yeah. a nice, I mean, I made a diving play a couple of weeks ago in the outfit, not to catch the ball, to cut it off before going to the gap to stop from a player going from, First to second. I mean, that's a big play in baseball when you could allow a guy not to get into scoring position. So do I have faith? I do have faith. And again, it's how, how can you tell Frazier after setting him down, not bringing him to the postseason uh, roster when they went to the overseas again in England last year, they didn't bring him. I mean, they made him stay back. He's done everything you've asked for him and more. And how are you going to look him in the eye and say, Hey man, it's just, it's just, we're going to go with judge. Who's, who's been you have hurt. to go with judge. No, you uh, have to go with judge. Yes. But, I mean, if Sanchez is playing that bad, we know what his back can do. Do you have faith starting Higashioka behind the plate? No. No, you don't. So Sanchez is going to play, but then it becomes, right, well, do you want Judge to not play the outfield and just hit, but then you have the problem with Stanton. I think it's really tough. Frazier being there is a good problem to have, but it's a problem nevertheless. Listen, I'm going to go out on a limb here because we know Stanton. A limb, get it? Riddle bones, exactly. I was hoping you would catch that pun. Stanton, when he first came over here, played left field. Yes. Why not put him in left field? He, this guy was a very good outfielder. They're not going to. I think that if you don't trust Frazier to transition to left, correct, 
I don't see Gardner playing in this postseason with the way Frazier's hit and fielded since his time up here. I think it would be a mistake to have Gardner in. I, I think that every once in a while, maybe if it's a, a dominant righty and you want you don't want that matchup, yes, Gardner can play. But you have to – Frazier's earned it, right? Gardner's batting 180. Frazier's close to 300. He's played much better on the field. So if you don't feel comfortable, why don't you put Stanton out there have him DH? But I think that your outfield has to be Frazier, Hicks, and Judge with Stanton at the DH or swapping with Frazier. Uh, DJ LeMahieu got a RBI single, by the way. And I think Luke Voigt just did the same thing. Your good point about in an ideal world, standing playing the field really helps because they can DH Judge or they can DH Sanchez because Higashioka is a better defensive catcher. He doesn't bat. Uh oh, what just happened? Luke Voigt. Oh, what? Three. Yeah, this guy's unreal. This guy's on, and he's dealing with an injury too that no one's talking about. He's got a foot problem. He clearly has a foot problem. Foot stuff. Yeah, it's not hand, foot, and mouth disease though. That's that's thankfully. But what Luke Voigt's done? I mean, is he is he the top now of the home run race? I think he might be in first with seventeen. It's it's kind of crazy, but um, we should go on to the Mets because big big Mets news. Steve Cohen is getting the team. It won't happen until. November when they have the meetings to do. I don't know. See, with technology, Brendan, why do they have to wait till November? Why can't they just go, you know, Zoom meeting right now, set up and do it? Fine. If he doesn't take over. Because the Wilpons probably want to finish the season out. Yeah, because they're having such a great year. And they, they really have. I mean, yeah, I know. Not like can, there's gonna... nothing he can do right now to fix anything. It, yeah, that's true. The trade deadline's passed. You can't sign anybody. It's Aaron Hicks, just, they just went back to back. No way. Yeah. Yo, we have and to just do our sh- when, when the Yankees are on, we just got to do a show. We'll, we'll go on. <laughs> keep it talking. But yeah, the Mets. The biggest thing now is Steve Cohen's got the money and he's yeah. willing to spend. He's a lifelong Met fan. What's one move he's got to make? I think the first thing he got to do is sign Conforto. He is not, I, don't, I believe he's arbitration eligible in 2021 and then he becomes a free agent in 2022. This is a guy that struggled against lefties in his career and has, he's having a great year against lefties. He's been their best hitter. He's a great fielder. You got to spend the money now. It's, it can't be Steve Cohen coming here and then doing the same thing the Wilpons did because at that point, then it doesn't matter who's running the team if they're not going to throw the money. I know they're going to go after JT Real Mudo. And, it could, and Cohen has the money to go into a bidding war with the Phillies now. So that'll be really interesting. But Met fans are rejoicing in the street if they won a World Series. And all they did was change an ownership group that's really struggled. And, you know, it, has it been their fault? The Mets have had chances to win. You know, they came close a couple of years ago. Was it 2015? Uh, yes, I believe so. And it's just great to see for a Mets organization. It really hasn't had a lot to cheer about in a very, very long yeah. time. And this is good for baseball. Steve Cohen is, again, looking at the teams, like the, the groups that could have acquired, the J-Lo A-Rod didn't make sense to me. Financially, it makes sense for all this. It's about getting money for a team. But I think there were so many heads, so many players that, you had football players. I'm not saying they can't be baseball fans, but they weren't fans. They were just looking at it as a moneymaker. Cohen's a lifelong Met fan. He wants to see this team win. And you just got $4 billion or whatever that he spent just sitting in your pocket, his pocket change. That's great for the Mets because he's going to go out there and, and at least try. Let's say Real yep. Mudo wants to sign with it. Because again, it's about players wanting to come to the Mets. A guy like Alonzo being there really helps marketing wise. Strowman, if he, if he comes back, maybe. But you got young guys and a young group coming up and stars, and McNeil is going to be a star. Conforto's a star. You got to keep him. J.D. Davis has been great. Can they find a way to get Freedens to come? Because, again, the ownership could do so much. Yes, now it's a marketing thing where you have an owner that's going to spend money to help this team. But if teams, if players still don't want to play for the organization, 
and I don't blame some of them where, okay, a, a owner could do only so much. Look at what the Angels are doing. They go out and get Rendon. Otani's healthy. They, they get players and still nothing, which we'll get to Trout before we end the show. But for the Mets, this is, this is a day to celebrate and drink because this is one of the best days in a long time for the New York Mets fan base. Yeah, definitely. And Steve Cohen becomes the richest owner in the MLB. So he's got the money to spend. He said he's going to spend it. And for me, like you mentioned the name JT Realmuto, I think that becomes a very interesting uh, addition to this to roster if they can get him, because I think they will go after him. They need a catcher, somebody that could play both sides of the ball. JT Realmuto is the best catcher in baseball. And I, I will dispute that with anybody who disagrees. He offensively, defensively, he is all around the best catcher in baseball. John Heyman on Twitter reported that the Mets were interested in him and that Cohen as the owner could get into a bidding war with the Phillies to get his contract on. And if you can get him right, that offense is solidified. That is a legitimate offense. If you can get Real Muto, resign Conforto, the thing of course becomes pitching. And that's been the Achilles heel of this Mets team. Obviously they get Syndergaard back. So you have Syndergaard and DeGrom as your one, two, uh, you, you hope that Lugo can go back to the bullpen and do what he's done. I don't know how you work around the, the back end of that bullpen issue. Familia looks a little bit better this year. Diaz has better numbers, but still looks inconsistent. Betances after a year, maybe will be get, get back into form. But I, I think that if they solidify that back end of the rotation and back end of the bullpen and add real Muto. Yes. It's definitely a time to be smiling. If you're a Mets fan, Steve Cohen is now owning this team. Yeah, before we get to a big series going against the Phillies, I have big news on the Islander front. Brendan Point's not playing tonight. Really? He is a scratch. That, and this that's is, not good. Wait, and this is the Islanders' lines for tonight. And we, we thought we were going to see some changes. This was their lines and warm-ups, which usually indicates what they're going to do. Ready? Lee Barzal, Clutterbuck. Bo, Nelson Bailey, Martin Peugeot, Everly, Komarov, Bursar, Delco. Wow. A lot of changes, but let's go. Let's get back to, to the baseball. They're 21 and 26, two and a half games back of the Phillies for the seventh seed. And they have a three game set with the Phillies starting today. Porcello's the game one player, DeGrom's game two, Lugo's game three. And this could be if the Mets can find a way to sweep this series. At least they at least have to win. Um, they at least have to win two out of three, but it really should be that they have to they have to find a way to sweep. That would be great yes. for this Mets team. I mean, despite them being what feels like 21 and 26 feels like they're completely out of it. They're not. And they really do control their own destiny. The Phillies are, have not done anything. They're 23 and 23. And the way that the pitching matchup stacks up, you have a veteran in Rick Porcello who he's done a lot of good things. He's won a Cy Young and, and you have to hope that he could turn the table. Uh, obviously his last start wasn't good, but the two before that were. And I think that you have Jacob DeGrom in game two, which is a must win. I know that they struggle to score runs for him, struggle to win his starts. That is one of the games where if you're going to win a game for Jacob DeGrom, that is the game you have to do it. And Seth Lugo, who's made the transition back to starter, has been good. He's a very good pitcher. So they got the three guys that you would think they want pitching in this series going. And like you said, two out of three is a must. If you can sweep, you have to. Because if they sweep this series, you're looking at a team that's in the playoff picture now. Yeah, imagine making the Mets, making the playoffs, and Steve Cohen. I don't know if Mets fans are going to know what to do with themselves. Right now, it's 0-0, bottom of the second, one out, guy in first for the Phillies. But J.D. Davis made a sick barehanded play at third base. And when things go well for a team, when I mean, for players, when you see that Steve Cohen's buying the Mets, and obviously fans are really excited about that, what does that do for the players? That's just a confidence boost. Yep. That they know what's going on. 
they're not they're not just players. They know exactly that they have a chance now to not only go out and get players, but players have to step up because it's a new start. Steve Cohen comes in, he can call the shots, and if let's say he doesn't like JD Davis, right, or he doesn't know JD, you know, Cohen watches the Mets religiously, where he knows the players, not personally on a personal level, but he knows what they bring. Watching that, like JD Davis make that play at third base, may put in the back of his mind as a first impression. Oh, we don't have to go out there and get a, a third baseman. You have Jerry Davis, beautiful play, game one. That's all you've seen as a, obviously he's not the owner yet, but he's now going to have a closer look. He won the bid. He's going to have a closer look at these players and see what they do from now until the end. Again, yeah. it's a boost of confidence. And I think for the Mets, they should sweep. That's that's the goal. And you look at the the, the records for all these pitchers, one and four, DeGrom four and one, Lugo two and three, throw those all away. Besides Porcello, who's really struggled. Got a 1.67 ERA for DeGrom and 2.63 ERA for Lugo. Those two pitchers have to find a way to get wins, and the offense has to come. But they could beat the Phillies and sweep them. Yes, they're in the playoff picture, but that's a boat of confidence after the news we got today, and that, that should be really good for Mets fans. Yeah, we, we talked about the Dodgers sitting in that one seed, and if the Mets do sneak in and wind up playing them, right? Not even just the Dodgers. Who wants to play the Mets? We, their offense Nobody. is very good, right? And you have DeGrom starting game one. So odds are whoever DeGrom faces, he's going to win that game or give the Mets a chance to win that game. And the, the thing is, if you go up one nothing in a best of three, all cards are off the table now. And, and I don't think anybody wants to see the Mets sneak in because of Jacob DeGrom and that offense. So if they get in, they're going to give themselves a chance to make a mini run here. And, and it, I really hope that they do because it's been an up and down season. It's been with the whole Yoannis Cespedes disaster. Pete Alonso hasn't fully clicked this season either. And, you know, once you start the playoffs, all bets are off. And I think that if they manage to sneak in and have a good series here and they could ride a little hot streak, it's a dangerous team. It's, it's definitely a dangerous team. They lose Cespedes, but he wasn't playing well anyway. He didn't seem like he was really interested in the season regardless. But again, all you got to do is get into the dance. I mean, it's what you do at the dance. If you show off at the dance and you do well, you can, you know, you might walk away with an award. But I mean, like I said, for this Mets team, it's just a good day. And if they could find a way, first off, it starts by winning Porcello's game. Yep. If they could win Porcello's game, that's a major confidence boost because Porcello has been so bad. Five earned runs versus Baltimore's last start. Two before that, 11 innings pitch, only four earned runs. So if he could find a way to shut down this Phillies offense and the Mets win this game, you have confidence going to DeGrom that they're at least going to take two out of three in this series and maybe more with um, Lugo. we got seven minutes, Brendan. I have a hot take for you in baseball, and let's do it because, yep. you know, we got Islanders hockey at the top of the hour. Boychuk and Noah Dobson are on the ice for warm-ups. Ross Johnson to scratch. This seems like it's going to be a whole new lineup and rotation for the Islanders. I'm very excited because, you know, you don't want to see anyone get hurt. And Point played last game, which means that he yeah. wasn't – John wasn't, Cooper said what it is. What is it? He said he's managing his injury, which means he knows that even if they lose this game, they still have two games to work with. Fair. So he's being cautious because he's I, rightfully so. He That's has all confidence. the confidence in the world. Yeah, I was yeah. say. But still, Islanders, I mean, they just gave you a chance at a win on a silver platter. Yes, yep. points not the only player on this team. We've seen that. He's very, very good, but they're a very good team. Well, hot take for the next seven minutes, Brendan. The Los Angeles Angels. When will the Angels be good? They'll be good the day they trade Mike Trout. And let's dive into why. Career tonight, we know how good Trout is. It's not even a joke. He's the best player in baseball year in and year out. When he's age 40, I think he'll still be dominating the league. The problem is the Angels have so much money invested in him that they, they don't spend money on other players. They go out and get Rendon, 
a key bat that hopefully would provide, you know, protection for Trout. They don't have to walk as much. Otani was coming back. Yeah, Fletcher playing well. But the Angels, they're 20 and 28 this season. That's with Rendon and a healthy Otani, but Otani forgot how to pitch. I mean, Trout's in his second year of a 12-year, $430 million deal. And this is where it gets interesting. Team this year is a 239 team batting average this season. Last season was 247. So with Rendon, with a healthy Otani, the batting average has gone down. Look at the Dodgers, pitching-wise. 3.39 pitchers ERA. Astros a 3.66 pitching ERA. Rays 3.67. The pitching for the, the uh, Angels has been terrible. 5.64 ERA among starters. 4.64 bullpen. This team will not be good unless they trade Trout because they have no farm system, and they need to trade for some pitching because it doesn't matter. You could have all the offenses in the world. We just talked about it with the Dodgers. The thing that the Dodgers have is they have pitching as well, and they have the hitting, which is why they're a team that's contending. If the Angels can get a uh, one, two, three great starting rotation, that'd be great. But the only way they're going to do that is they trade Trout and get prospects or a farm system. But I mean, you make the trade. Let's say they, let's say they do trade Trout, right? You're not only going to get the prospects. You're gonna you can get a, a, th- a number three starter. You might even be able to get a number two starter from a team. Everyone wants a Trout. Obviously, the money you're willing to pay, but with him on the team, they just, they don't have the money and the resources to be competitive and they won't be until he's gone. Well, I agree with that. I think that the angels will do everything in their power to avoid that. The angels will try to trade other pieces, make a couple more free agent signings. Obviously uh, Pujols contract will come off the books in a little bit they have other ways that they might try to get younger and get better pieces around him. But at the same time, when you have somebody like Trout, like we've seen this before, uh, we, we've seen in other sports where somebody has a big name and it's coming to that time where, listen, they're not going to do it for you. Obviously your team hasn't gotten over the hump and, and you got to move him. And I, I think the MLB would be in love if they traded him to an East coast team. Right. And I'm not Definitely. saying the Prime Yankees, time. but think about, think about just for example, right. The Red Sox are now in a mini rebuild. If they've found a way to trade for Trout. Just the amount of ratings that go through the roof, how much more noticeable he becomes. Because right now he's on the West Coast. The majority of the teams aren't in that time zone, and it becomes a different issue. People, like, we're not going to stay up until 10 o'clock to watch the Angels play because they're terrible, right? Yeah. They're not good. I'm not going to tune into that game. And he's hasn't won a playoff game, right? Is that is that accurate, or he's won one? He won, a, I want to say, a wild card game. I'm not sure. He hasn't done that. It doesn't matter. He hasn't been in the big spotlight when everyone's going to watch him. And you want your best player, and there's no doubt in the world that Mike Trout is the best baseball player in the world, that you want him in that spotlight. And he has not been there, and the Angels haven't given him that chance. And it's not him because he does everything you can ask him more every single year. He took a paternity leave this year. He's still second in the league in home runs now to Luke Hoyt. So, I mean, this guy needs help. And in baseball, it's the one sport where no matter how good your best player is, it's never going to be good enough. Right, basketball, you have one guy you could do it, and hockey, even a hot goalie can do it. Football, maybe not as well, but it, you could have one good player that can change the course. In baseball, Mike Trout is the best player, and he can't do it all. You need somebody that could pitch. And you mentioned Otani. Otani, I mean, thank, thankfully, the Yankees didn't sign him because just a disaster what's happened to him with the injury rate and, and all that. But they, they, they can't bank on somebody, by the way, it's a two way player. Like he never picked a position. I, I thought originally he should have picked a position. And outside of that, they have no pitching. So the, the Angels need to figure it out quick. Yeah. Trout will join a list. If he stays with the Angels, he'll join a, a list of one of the, the, the best players to play and never win. 
And it's sad because like if he was on the Yankees, I'm not saying that's a, I mean, that's always a possibility with the money the Yankees have that he could join the Yankees somehow. But the problem is that he's committed to winning in LA. While the weather is definitely beautiful. It's probably awesome to live out there. I've been to that stadium, very nice place. I mean, he put 12, he, he pretty much said he wants to be an angel for the rest of his career. And yes, money probably played a factor, but I think that you have, first off, if you're going to trade him. It's got to be sooner than later because he's in his prime right now. And will he be the best player in baseball? Probably by the end of his year uh, contract. No, he'll still be very, very good, but you're going to get the most out of him if you trade him right now. And they won't, you know, my, that's my hot take that they're, they should trade him, but they won't because again, they invested the money in him as well. And they really want to, they want to win with him or not. I think they'd rather win with him than not win at all at this yeah. point, because it's, it's Mike Trout face of baseball, but he's got to move if he's going to want to win and the team's going to have to move him if they want to win. And that's, that's really the moral of the story there. I completely agree with what you're saying. We've got a minute left. So as uh, you're not going to hear this often, but good luck. I hope that the Islanders, don't make you miserable tonight. And I'm already miserable, Brendan. I don't feel good. <laughs> I know, but you know, win always boosts the morale and yeah, it, it should be a good what, one tonight. I can't imagine what a loss is going to do to me. Well, it'll, <laughs> it'll put you out of your misery soon. It's like being a nice guy to a dog that's sick, but the, the <laughs> Islanders are, are in every position right now to make this a six game series, at least right. Braden points out they're shuffling their lines. Trotz's head is working like a magic man. And, and you got to think that if they hold the Tampa Bay Lightning to two goals tonight, they're winning this game. I think that the Islanders are scoring three. That's going to be my prediction. So your prediction is 3-2 or empty netter? I'm what predicting that the Lightning are winning 4-3. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that the only way the Islanders win is if they hold them to two goals. But the way that everyone's like, oh, points out, I, I just <laughs> see Kucherov going off, and I, yeah. I don't know. Again, that's why that's why Tampa is a better team. They could lose if the Islanders lost a Barzal, they're done. Yep. It's gonna be really hard, but see what happens. Puck drop is in a couple of minutes, so I'm gonna run downstairs, eat some dinner real quick, and watch this game. Brendan, you enjoy the Yankees domination of the Blue Jays, hopefully, and oh, yes. we'll see you guys next week. I think you're gonna love next week's episode. We're not gonna give too much away, but definitely one you're gonna probably want to tune. In. Not even probably, you're gonna want to tune in for it. So we'll see you guys next week. It is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network.